I was wondering what made you choose this story today. Today I'm thinking of another little baby that passed away. But um, what I want to say to the parents of this baby and who are here today is that there is another physician. He's in the room and he's getting it done. And so we'll see that baby alive. And we'll see all of those that didn't have the right doctor do what he will do when we wanted it. Those that have um, gone to sleep. And that's the great hope that we have <clears throat> as Adventists, as Adventist Christians. Those things um, that uh, we go through in life, um, joys and sadnesses, um, are all for a while. But um, they'll be brought to perfection very soon when Jesus comes back. And uh, we can work towards uh, making the world a better place, but he will make it completely perfect for each one of us. And that's our great hope. One of um, the events that um, we go through in life is, well, birth. We have babies, as Judy told us. We have some deaths sometimes. Another big event is, um, is marriage and a wedding. And um, I know that many of us are thinking about what will take place tomorrow um, when, when some players of ours will be affronting the Steelers, and that's important. But this is also, this is also um, uh, February, the month of love. And, um, and, and um, now some of you might know some of the members in other churches of Wisconsin, even in, in New London. And last week, it was not February yet, but I was there for the celebration of a 60th wedding anniversary of some of our members there. And this morning, I would like to share some of the same message um, that I shared last week with you, because I think it'll fit for all of us this morning, and for this week, and for this month. And... Um, I mean, I've enjoyed worship tremendously so far, right? Uh, the singing and the offering and all of these things that we've done. Uh, so this is not the main important part, but it is an important part as well. Some of us were there in New London last week. There's, I think, a couple of people. And, um, but I think that they're experienced enough to know that the message that I have for you this morning is one that you can hear more than once. It's actually one that you need to hear more than once. And um, there's two reasons for this. The first one is because it's a message that really matters a lot, as I will show. And as you know already, you're not learning anything that you don't know already. You're just being refreshed in your, in what you know. And the second re the reason why we can hear this message a second time. What I can hear, why I can hear it a second time and preach it a second time is that we all human beings in general, and I would say we church people in particular, and I would go as far as saying that we church people that are older, and I'm putting myself in that category now because I've grown a few years more than I did, um, we have habits and ways of life 
that, um, that have been developed for good, and there's others that are still there that we need to improve on. And so that's why it's a message that requires attention and taking it to heart personally and doing it. And, um, and that's why I think it's, it's probably okay for the two of us or three of us that were there in New London last week to hear this a second time and not to snooze, but to be attentive. I started um, <clears throat> last week sharing that so-and-so can be a passionate and very uh, articulate individual who will proudly admit that he will tell it to you like it is. You know anybody like that? He'll tell it to you like it is. And, uh, and that's a good thing. And so-and-so is also a community leader and a person who cares and who knows. And because he knows, he's in charge. And everyone has a flip side of their strength. Isn't that true? Usually our greatest weaknesses are the flip side of our greatest strengths and vice versa. And so a passionate person like I am can also sometimes be experienced as a little forceful. And a caring person who knows what to do can also sometimes be seen as a little directive. And then asked a rhetorical question that I'll ask again once more. Who can live with such an individual? How do you live with a person like that who can be a little directive and forceful? Now look at the reference and the context of the verses that Tim read to you this morning. These verses were chosen by the people, by the way, that had their anniversary last week in New London. First off, if you look at the choice of that chapter, um, a chapter that uh, when you would expect to have a message on, on love and family relationships, is that the chapter that you would choose in Ephesians? What's the chapter in Ephesians that talks about family relationships? Five, correct. Ephesians chapter five, you know the, the chapter that says, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, the people that chose that, the text for last week were wise enough, as any married person more than two days here is wise enough to know, steer away from those beautiful verses. Wives, submit to your, to your husband. You don't say this to your wife. And, you know, and you say to your husband, love me as Christ loved the church. All of us fail in this. And so that's, a, that's kind of a ticklish chapter that um, was stirred away from. I think very wisely. I hear some chuckles. That's a good thing. Because, the, by the way, the, the verse that precedes that, verse, I believe, 20, before verse 21, says, and submit to each other in the love, in the, in the, in the fear of God, or something like this. So, anyway, so... 
chapter 5 is the chapter that you would think of for love and relationships, but uh -uh, we're not going to touch this one. Then, I think there's wisdom in having chosen chapter 5 instead. But if you ask any theologian worth his salt, and I would bet you that many of you would know, if you ask any theologian, what does Ephesians chapter 4 talks about? Comes ready to mind. They'll shrug their shoulders and say, why, of course, about Christian unity. And about, yes, the gifts of the Spirit. He gave some teachers and pastors for the upbuilding of the church and so on and so forth. One Lord, one flesh, one, one, one Father of all, one baptism. And so that's what they would say chapter 4 talks about. That's not really related to love and relationships and this kind of things. Spiritual unity. Christian unity and spiritual gifts. And that's what the holy page says. I mean, I have it right here. And the Apostle Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... And I'm reading from the King James this time, a new King James. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all of you. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, verse 8, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this he ascended. Have you lost me already? I've lost myself. I've lost myself. I mean, there's a question that's asked, and to me, well, the answer is just as clear as water. Well, not so. It's kind of, where are we here? Let's continue a little further. Let's continue a little further. Verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here they are, the spiritual gifts. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and so on and so forth. Not to toss to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Have I lost you once more? I've lost myself a second time. But these are the verses that the theologians tell us. They speak about important things. They talk about Christian unity and the spiritual gifts. But out of the whole chapter, the choice of verses that I was given by experienced an experienced married couple, the choice of the verses that were read in your hearing this morning, precisely bypassed all of this ever so important theological material. Is it because the persons who chose them were theological ignoramuses? <laughs> or because they didn't know what's important in a chapter? And my answer is, I don't think so. I think they knew what they were talking about when they selected those two verses for their 60th wedding anniversary, rather than Ephesians 5, 
or all of the beautiful, lofty stuff that we just read in the remainder of chapter 4. Now, it's not that those things are not important. Christian unity is of utmost importance. It's very important for us to be aware, as we talked about this morning, not just that unity is the goal, but that there's great forces within ourselves, not within them, within myself, that work against unity so that we are divided with each other if we don't pay attention to it and bring out to the open the things that could differentiate between us. Christianity is of utmost importance. The spiritual grounds of Christianity are just as important as well. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We all come from different backgrounds. And if not aware of how they can divide us, and if we're not aware that we have unity in the goal that we're trying to reach, which is intimacy and love in God, it's important. Unity of any kind of any good kind, is important. Unity, as a matter of fact, is presented from the very first pages of the Bible as something that's very important and very good. Do you know what story? Where it speaks of one? It's the story of Adam and Eve when they were brought to each other. And it says that the man shall leave his wife and cleave, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's beautiful. It says unity is important. It's something, that great theme of Ephesians chapter 4, unity both in the church as well as in relationships and in marriage is very important. As they say, those who pray together stay together. The foundation of unity is God as well. And Christ at the center of the home. And there are so many. We need to be aware of this very very many influences that seek to be at the center of our homes instead of God. Isn't that true? Many rooms is the television. Could be games, all kind of things. Anything. But if God is at the center, as Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, one God, one faith, one baptism, the goal of Christian unity, all of these things are very, very, very important. But even in Genesis... When he speaks about unity, he speaks about they would become one what? One, one what? One flesh. Well, that's not overly spiritual, is it? One flesh. In other words, I think there's a hint here that both in the choices of verses for this morning, as well as in the one flesh, there's, there's a desire to eliminate the gobbledygook to eliminate the churchy thing that we can just get ourselves lost in. I go to the second big <clears throat> subject in Ephesians chapter 4, spiritual gifts. Are spiritual gifts unimportant? Now, of course, spiritual gifts sounds like something that's you know, a little complicated, but the spiritual gifts are the gifts that each one of you have to help God's work in the church. Some people would not want to lead in a Bible study. Some others, it's easy to them. Some people have a gift to encourage others. Some people have a gift to challenge others. There's the gift of caring for people. 
Do some of you have a gift for caring? They feel that they have a warm heart for others? Some people have a bright intelligence. Each one of us has some gifts that God gave us for use in the church. And spiritual gifts are very important for us to be aware of what you have as a gift. It's not something that's complicated. It's what you are used to do that you do well. And to put them to, and also in the house, there are various chores in the church. Some people are more administrative, and some people are more into uh, cooking, for example. You know? So whether it's in the church or in the home, various chores and various duties have to be taken care of um, according to the gifts that people bring to the marriage, to the, to the family, to the church family. Chapter 4 tells us that all of these gifts, we got them because Jesus ascended to God after having sacrificed himself. And that's important. All good gifts come from above, and we need to utilize them down below here. One thing that you will find, though, in the text on the spiritual gifts is that there's great warning, great length. The Apostle Paul goes to great length in especially 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to help us recognize that spiritual gifts, as important as they are, can be the source of conflicts because they are diverse and different. We say, oh, this person is not organized, and so we want to just, you know, we don't need them. Or this person, oh, well, this person always talking faith. They don't know what it is to have a realistic mind on money, so we don't want them. And so we have conflicts because of the various talents that we all bring to the pot. And the Apostle Paul says, goes to great lengths in the Scripture, say, no, the variety that you have is something to be appreciated, but it can be a source of conflict. The point that I'm getting at here is that as important as Christian unity and as is and as important as the spiritual gifts in the church are, these are important subjects of Scripture. But none of them talk about what I think the Apostle Paul thinks is the most important thing. As important as spiritual gifts are, they are not the most important thing there is. And I'll prove it. I'll prove it. When the Apostle Paul has talked about spiritual gifts for a long while in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at the end of this, after having warned the church people not to fight over those gifts, not to be nasty with each other over those differences of gifts, he says, but now, what does he say? What are the last verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Now I will show you the most excellent way. And then in the very next chapter, what does he go on talking about? What is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talking about? What? Love. That's right, love. Love. We don't want to hear about it. That's just mushy, mushy. Sometimes love can be tough, so I can be nasty. No, 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 you can't. No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul says the most important thing is not your spiritual gifts, buddies. The most important thing is to be nice to each other. And I'll show you how. Here's the most excellent way. That's what it is. That's what it boils down to. I have a little book in my office. I tell you, it's no, no bigger than this. It's red. People that go into the office can see it. It's... Um, it's a transcript of a great sermon by a great preacher of yesteryears, Henry Drummond. 
and it's entitled The Greatest Thing in the World. And in this month of love, the month of February, I think it's important for us to remember that. You know, yes, we want to remember the birth of Christ at Christmas. Okay, does this mean that we cannot remember it and we should not remember it every day of the year? At Easter, we want to remember the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. Does this mean that we don't want to remember this every day of the year? So what I'm doing now is something that is good for the time, but at the same time, something for every day of the year, especially as we come to challenge. We can even love the Steelers tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe we don't want them to win. But. but the Apostle Paul says and starts this chapter by saying in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Though I speak the tongues of angels, though I'm the best preacher in the world, though I have all faith and all knowledge of prophecies, though I do perfectly all of the spiritual gifts that there is in the book, I have all of that stuff, but I don't have love. Prophets mean nothing. He's emphatic about it. It's not it prophets, me, prophets me a little. It's it prophets mean nothing. Goes on love, suffers long, and he's kind. Does not envy, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lover, love never fails. And then he ends the chapter. All these things are important, but the greatest of these three is love. Now that's a very beautiful poem, is it? Is it not? That's one of the chapters that's most chosen for weddings. And perhaps also for wedding anniversaries. But then that's not the one that they chose. I don't know why, but to me, that maybe, you know, it's, it's such a lofty poem. It gets me so much in the clouds. <laughs> Are you with me? I mean, do you, do, do, do you love like that, Wayne? I'm looking like this intently because there's no Wayne. I carefully chose a, a name that there is not in this room here. Do you love like that? I'm looking for another name that there is not here, but it's for a question for each one of you. Do you love like that? I don't love like that. But I like to listen about it. Sounds good, doesn't it? Ah, love is this, love is that, love does this, love does that. I go to church, makes me feel good. I've heard it. Next time, what do I do when I go back home? And by the way, <clears throat> this chapter here, 13, comes after this chapter on spiritual gift. And he says the most important thing is not the spiritual gift. It's, it's, it's that. And in chapter 4, it also talks about the spiritual gift. And then at the end, it says, it speaks about love. Speaking the truth in what? In love. It speaks about building the church in love. So, both in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as well as in Ephesians chapter 4, the text that we have for today, what the most important thing that's listed is love. I've proved it from the sequence in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's something else. Just like in the story of Adam and Eve, it says one flesh, a little prosaic, isn't it? If you listen and if you looked at the version that you had on in your Bible when it was read by Tim, 
He didn't read from the King James Version. He read from the New Living Translation. What's that? That's a little popular, isn't it? That's not as good as the King James. But you see, I chose to have this, first because I was told last week to read in that translation, but I chose this week to read in it because <clears throat> that New Living Translation avoids all the traps of talking about all that even love in that churchy language. Theological jargon that makes you feel good but does nothing to you. That New Living Translation bypasses all this and tells it to you like it is. And to me like it is. Where it matters. It's translated in down-home Wisconsin cottage language in the context of living with each other. In the same house, in the same church, whether it's in Red Granite, Omro, or Oshkosh, or in Appleton, Kimberley, Kokona, or in Nina, or in Sheokton, or in Appleton again. Some days when we live with each other, it's a love nest, isn't it? And then some days it's a little more lonely. So the verses that were read this morning bypassed a lot of the important but the so-called lofty stuff of Scripture and stopped right there where it once more talks about God and the church, Christ's ascension and spiritual gifts. Just a couple of verses and the version in which they were read, forget about that lofty King James once more. Don't get sidetracked with all that lofty, churchy thing. Because the most important in that chapter and in 1 Corinthians and in the entire scripture, the most important thing that you and I need to take out of these few moments of sharing with each other is where the battle is fought, but also where love is drunk with abandon. Right there in those verses that Tim read. Don't be snotty. Be humble. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. Doesn't say whose love. Is it love for God? Is it love for each other? I think it's both. Love says, You love me, but you don't love your brother. Go somewhere else. <laughs> hmm? Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit. Look at each other's eyes. Huh? Don't do that too much, right? Prefer to talk about Sabbath school lofty stuff. But the Apostle Paul says, don't do that. That's not important. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. Now, you want to have a sermon like that? My time is nearly up. It's a quarter to 12. And a day I don't want to risk making someone's dinner wait. Sometimes I do, but not today. But why would you want to have a sermon on that anyway? Is it that hard that you can't understand it for yourself? 
Is it couched in such difficult language that it requires to have another elaborate exposition on it so that we feel good that we've come to church and heard a sermon about it? That's not the point. I've seen times when we have communion and when it doesn't get all organized, people go, get all worked up with each other. You miss the point. The point of church, the point of church is not church. It's God's love to be felt. You understand? That's what it says. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. As beautiful as each one of the ladies in this room is, both in terms of their face and the way they are dressed. Beautiful women here. And as manly as all the guys in this room are. You're welcome. We never hear that, you. As beautiful as the women are, and as manly and good-looking as the men are here, others' faults are a given. If you think there's an ideal person that has no fault here, it's dreaming. That just, just doesn't exist. You just have to look over it. Knowing that when you look over the sister's faults, they've done the same for you. <laughs> it's something we do for each other. We make allowance for each other's faults. The question, the rhetorical question that I asked at the beginning, at the beginning how can you live with so and so? is a question that can be asked by each one of us. How do you live with a man like Sam 24 hours a day? I live with myself good, but I don't know about the others. How you live with, and I won't say any names here, but you can put your name. How can they live with me? It's a question of all of us here that have faults. That's a given. That's the wonderful reason why God puts us in fellowship. But what we do is now we try to just get ourselves out of fellowship. At nomination time, what do we do? We try to get some people in, some people out. That's why I don't like the process. I'm just dragging my feet on it. It's not the way church is supposed to be. That's not what it's all about. <laughs> How you live with such people, you just, you just have to. And the way that you do it, you just love them. You keep at it. You look over their faults. You forgive them. You keep at it because of your love for God, because he says so, because he's loved you, but also because of your love for them. Because when you, when you keep at it and look at them, you see how truly lovely they are. 
Think of the person that you like the least in this room right now. They are lovely. Each one of us here, everyone here is lovely in God's sight. There's something beautiful that we haven't seen in them when we don't see that. And when you do that, you keep yourselves united. Here's unity, but not in that churchy spirit, one God, one. You keep yourself bound. It's your choice. You must do it. Nobody else will do it for you. And all this, when you're gentle and humble, patient with each other. Peace. Shalom. The peace of God is the result, and it's good. Sometimes you have this in the church. Not always, though. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get it outside. Still the Spirit of God that does it. But you get it wherever there's people that will respond to God's Spirit. And say, I'm going to be humble and gentle. I know sometimes we smirk. We see those bumper stickers, coexist. Say, ah, liberals. Hmm, Maybe. I think that's God's spirit in there. I think it's my God, my Christian God's spirit that's in there. So here we have <clears throat> this admonition. We have this, this simple message given by people who have experienced. We have other people that have celebrated long-term relationships. Last year we had Carol and Bob, 50 years of marriage doesn't come without being humble and gentle. Uh, it doesn't come with saying, you submit to me and I'm going to... It comes with putting those verses in the New Living Translation in practice, aiming at it. Now, I could say, you know, since I'm sitting here or standing here in front of that pulpit, say, now nah, you do it. You know, in the first verse of that chapter 4, the apostle Paul puts out his credentials. He says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. And yet, with all that Paul suffered and all that Paul learned and with all his experience, he didn't come and be harsh and say, no, you're going to do that, you know. And neither will I, and neither will the persons that have experienced, there, he, that have experienced here. And neither does God, who has the most experience of all. He doesn't come and say, no, you're going to do that stuff. He says it with a tone of voice that itself is humble and gentle. It's nothing that's pushed on anyone. It's something that's proposed to each one of us, however. And so the Apostle Paul ends and tells us that the result when we are humble and gentle is good. And he invites us. He invites you and he invites me to go on that path. Both in February as well as every month of the year. What I would like on this first Sabbath of February is to give you this information, this information and an invitation to respond to it. And I'll give you how you can respond to it. Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this time of worship together with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us feel your love this morning. And also for the opportunity that we have to love each other. And as we've refocused this morning on this most important 
attribute of yours and how it must impact our lives. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us as we go forward. And we thank you ahead of time because we ask this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.